Welcome everyone to How Winners Win. I'm Daniel Blue. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kita Spears, a.k.a. Hi, Key. What up? What's up, Kita? How you feeling today? Feeling great, bro. Let's talk about money. My favorite topic. I know, man. And uh, you guys, you winners are in for a treat. We've got somebody yeah. that uh, is going to blow your socks off. And uh, his name is Jake Gallen, And he is a Las Vegas homie. He's here in the studio. And uh, we're just learning more about him. He's been in Las Vegas for a long time. And uh, he's deeply embedded in the crypto and uh, NFT space. So I'm really excited for him to take over the mic and, and just share a lot of insights. If you guys uh, aren't on the crypto NFT train, I bet you after listening to Jake, you're going to be like, mama, my cousin, <laughs> everyone needs to get on it because guys, it, it is the future. So uh, Jake has a, a badass podcast that he's had uh, a number of high profile guests and uh, it's called the Guestless Podcast. Um, owns a, uh, a crypto business with a, a business partner or two called Native Research um, and, and super involved in the Las Vegas community when it comes to bringing uh, uh, crypto and, and NFT and all this cool stuff to the surface. So Jake, welcome to the podcast, man. Dude, it is an honor to be here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited to dive into deep for a lot of things that are maybe eccentric to some people, um, including internet avatars and magic internet money. Man, <laughs> like I guess my first question is, since you've been, you know, I, I kind of look at you as an OG in, in the yeah. crypto NFT space um, and, and winners, you know, if you guys have never listened to this podcast before. We, you know, Kita and I, we, we do our best to just show you guys how to win in your personal life, your financial life, your entrepreneurial life, and bringing on some amazing guests like Jake and, uh, you know, having an OG like Jake to come and talk about crypto and NFTs, you know, we're really grateful. And guys, he's in the studio and we've talked about this before, Kita, like the shows it's that different. are in the studio are way better than Zoom. I mean, I think you probably oh, agree So much better, dude. So much. When I first started the guest list right after the pandemic started, the first 10 episodes I had to do through Zoom because we were all in quarantine. But immediately once that uh, once that quarantine was lifted, I make everyone come to the studio now, unless there is a few um, different reasons why the guests can't make it. Um, but I also started a new podcast too called Crypto Natives um, mm. because of how, how far my crypto brand has grown from all the things that have happened over the last eight months, which seems like eight years at this point. Um, and those are all through Zoom, but the in-person conversations are so much better. You get to read somebody's body language, the social cues. And also um, I tell the people, I tell my audience from my show, my favorite part of the podcast is actually when the cameras are off after the episode is done and um, everyone's guard is down and you get to dive a little bit even deeper to some of the things that generally are, aren't spoken over the airwaves. Yeah. And, and you guys, whether you're in crypto NFTs or you're not, no matter what, like I know you guys are going to get value out of this. So make sure you share this episode with a friend. Um, let's roll up our sleeves and, and get right into it, man. Like you being an OG in the space, looking at where we are now, the landscape, like, did you see this coming years ago when you first started dabbling into crypto and things like that? Mm, yeah. It's funny you say OG because it's, I've been in crypto now four and a half years. I have my first Bitcoin. Actually, my first Ethereum buy was in April of 2017, but I actually stumbled across crypto towards the end of 2016. And when I came across Ethereum and smart contracts, I thought it was like a super cool idea, but I had no finance background. I went to college for kinesiology and I never, I never put together that smart contracts had an underlying currency to it. And unfortunately at that time, Ethereum was like $4 and ended up having to buy around a hundred bucks, which now it's just absolutely crazy. and It's going to continue to go. But 
I've never had such strong conviction in something as to when I was turned on to cryptocurrency. To me, um, after about researching it for a week, when I was turned on to it, um, originally a family friend turned me on to uh, an ICO project, which is just like an altcoin um, in 2017. And then I started going down the crypto rabbit hole, which is a, a, f- a famous misnomer um, in crypto because it happens to everyone. And once you do dive into the world of crypto, no one ever leaves. And so um, I was doing Forex after I graduated college for a little bit and had some other entrepreneurial endeavors. And crypto, it just made sense to me. It's uh, Crypto as a broad industry, it's just an idea of self-sovereignty. So that means that the individual possesses everything that they own. You could possess your own data, your own currency, um, and then you can also monetize on that if you wish as well. Um, back in 2017, this is like right when Ethereum was finally starting to gain a little bit of traction, but it was in a little bit of its infancy. Um, I was much more fond on Bitcoin. I was like, there's this decentralized currency that's created by this pseudonymous creator. So no one knows if it's a he, she, they, who it is. And, and then Satoshi Nakamoto, which is, which is that pseudonym, um, disappeared after about a year and a half of being involved in Bitcoin. And uh, that person or people still have, have has an estimated 1.2 million Bitcoin in that wallet that's never been touched ever. So um, a lot of people think that it's kind of this race right now between who's going to be the first trillionaire in the world, Elon Musk or Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, nobody may know. But just just the, the idea that anybody can participate in this system, now some, the, the average individual is priced out because of how expensive mining's become. But at the time, anyone could just uh, mine Bitcoin, which is basically just dedicating computer power um, to this mining algorithm and you're rewarded in Bitcoin because that's what that's what crypto is essentially is that the best way to describe it is that if I wanted to send you dollars, right? Let's say I wanted to send you a large transaction of a million dollars. We're doing a business deal, right? I have to send it through our banks, which are the intermediary and then the payment processor. And that can take literally sometimes weeks. And if it's even a large amount, the bank can say, nope, not going to, not going to allow that. I don't believe that's right in your best interest, even though it's your money. But with Bitcoin, I just send it directly to you. No, there's no, it's permissionless. The only thing I have to do is pay a transaction fee and make sure that that address is right. So, so that you don't send it to the wrong address. Um, and so that idea really just captured my, um, curiosity. And when I was working at Omnia at the time, Omnia Nightclub out here in Las Vegas. Um, I literally over the next three and a half years was just taking a large amount of what I was making and just dumping it into Bitcoin. It just like completely made sense to me and it's, it's proven pretty right. And now the technology four and a half years later is moved into to NFTs, which is scaled much faster than I anticipated. I thought self-sovereign money was something that would um, resonate with everybody it really didn't, but for some reason, internet pictures and memes does, and so that's kind of where we are in the the NFT space, which is also evolving into more than just JPEGs on a blockchain. It's now um, access tokens, utility, membership rewards, um, NFTs, which I'm sure we'll talk into because that's kind of where my brand is going. Um, the easy way to describe it is just um, it assigns ownership over or it assigns ownership over anything digitally. And so you could put real world assets on the blockchain and then assign ownership, or I can assign ownership over um, a JPEG. And it's a new paradigm because if, what does it mean to own something digitally, right? If you own something analog in the analog world, if I own a car, 
I can um, repaint it. I could rent it out. I can sell it. I can um, completely remodel it. I could blow it up. I could do all these things. But what if you own something that's completely digital? What does that mean? If I own an internet picture, I can sell it, right? You could do some of the basic ideas. I could sell it. I could rent it out. I could also program on top of it. I could integrate it into other metaverses. Um, I could integrate it into other NFT communities. Um, you can leverage it and tie it to royalties. So there's all these things in the NFT world that people are exploring because we've never been able to, to own things digitally. That's why, uh, more, most specifically, um, meme creators and photographers are diving heavily into blockchain because now they can prove that they created that meme or it took that, that very scenic picture without um, being robbed of the royalties that they deserve. Wow. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, that's a little, it's a little bit. It's a lot to, uh, I like to come out swinging guys. Hey, um, I've got, I've gotten a lot of flack when I, whenever I approach businesses and I work with like UNLV and Caesars and all these people, um, I come in, I just throw all these ideas at people because you never know in crypto what's going to stick. Mm -hmm. Um, I always thought, and I just did a tweet, tweet thread on this recently growing up until I before I got into crypto, I always felt that my artistic abilities and creativity was not my strongest suit. I thought it was one of my worst traits, but what crypto has really opened up um, on an international and global scale is um, intellectual creativity. So crypto is basically like this emergence of finance, technology, internet culture, creativity, artistic abilities, relationships, and basically is just the melting pot of everything. And so that's where you see all these like crazy ideas that form and, Sometimes they, they stick really well, and then other times it takes a little bit longer. And that's what makes this space so rewarding, but also so tiresome because it's 24-7. Yeah. So I want to take it back to when you first got put on to it. So you said that it was an ICO. So for people who don't know what an ICO is, initial coin offering. It's mm -hmm. basically like an IPO in the stock market. So you can get in at the very early stages. If it goes the right way, you become rich overnight. <laughs> yeah. If it goes the wrong way and they take all your money and you, you lose your life savings. So like what, what about that interested you, you know, to jump into it? And then from there, obviously you've built a, a career mm -hmm. off of it. So like why, why was the ICO project important to you? And like looking back on it, what lessons did you learn? So the, the ICO project, yeah. And there's actually a funny story behind this, which I've, I've said a few times. Um, the, the ICO project, I won't name because it doesn't exist anymore. Um, it was like a, he, yeah, it was a humanitarian based smart contract platform. So they had, um, they basically, it's like, if, if you're familiar with like Ethereum or Solana or Cardano, some of, some of the more emerging smart contract platforms, um, it had a humanitarian base. So they had meetings at like the United Nations and they wanted to build all these like smart cities and social impact um, layer two causes. And it really just caught my attention. So I've literally invested everything I had at the time, which was about six and a half Bitcoin and lost it all, lost it all. So I literally everything that I had made from the 2017 bull run all the way up to the top and then I'm um, halfway down, invested it, took a risk and lost everything. And so I had to start all over and this is just like a common, it hurts now because you know, that'd be worth like almost half a million dollars. But um, these kind of lessons are very prominent in crypto because you're exploring technology that's never been created, whether you're being scammed or socially engineered to lose your money or um, you, you send a currency to somebody and you mess up on one of the, the letters and numbers and you lose everything. Like there's so many ways to lose all of your capital in crypto. 
Um, but it just taught me the, the, the will to never give up and crypto, a lot of it, it, there is a lot of timing the market where if you want to get, you know, those thousand X's or 10,000 X's, but more importantly, it's just time in the market. And that's a, that's a famous Warren Buffett quote as well, both crypto it's exponential and it's this very different form of investing. And there's two, two ways to, to look at it. Traditional investing is a fundamental approach, right? P&L, um, what, how many employees do you have? What's your cost basis? How much debt do you have? Yada, yada, yada. But now crypto is really formed and moved into like this mimetic investing where you're really trying to, to understand where internet culture is moving. And internet culture is completely different and detached from what's happening in the real world. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where, where we are today. But also the fact that in traditional investing, there's this like idea of mean reversion, right? So it's like, if something goes up so far, eventually it's going to come down to the average. But in crypto, it's based off of momentum and network effects. And um, if, if you have, it's, it's the basic idea where if you have like one, one person in a social circle, you attract two people. Those two people attract four people. Those four people attract eight. And eventually just grows so big that it's impossible for the numbers to come down. And so the whole space, even as today, very confident that it's going to 100x over the next decade per se. And so that means, you know, the whole market will, will grow 100x. Some of these other projects will probably grow 10,000 or 100,000x over time. And they're all kind of finding their different individual ideals. And so after I'd lost everything, I was still under the impression that, you know, this market in 2018, it's still going to probably 10,000 X from that point in time. So yes, I lost everything, but I just had to get back to the drawing board and get back to buying Bitcoin and Dogecoin at the time and kind of following the internet trends. And so that's um, kind of the lessons that I, that I've learned is that it's never too late in crypto. There's always 10, 100, 100,000 X opportunities that are out there. <laughs> Shiba. Yeah. Crazy. I made actually a decent amount of my wealth through Dogecoin. I was buying in 2019. Um, and I had realized that it was the first meme meme coin. And you could literally go back to, to my Twitter accounts and saying like, if the internet ever figures out what this thing is, it's going to absolutely go berserk. And it actually went more berserk than I thought because I sold way too early. <laughs> but um, earlier this year in 2021, um, had the opportunity sitting in front of me that I could literally change my life just pressing sell. And so I went back and forth with myself internally, like, am I crazy to not press sell right now? Like, right? Like, okay, this could go like seven, eight, nine figures. But if I had this opportunity and I grew up very poor and fought my entire life to just hit the sell button, um, it just forced me to press it. And of course it, then it still goes another 10 X after that. But, <laughs> um, I learned that like living with some security under you, uh, makes you think differently and evaluate life, which therefore then you can accrue more wealth. I want to talk about that. Cause you grew up in Vegas. I grew up in Vegas. A lot of people don't understand Vegas living mm -hmm. like, High school in Vegas is way different, I feel like, than anywhere else in the country. And we're exposed to a lot of different things. You could go get rent a hotel room in one of the nicest hotels on the Strip as a senior after prom. Where, where you know, people in other cities are going to some barn or some fucking bonfire after prom. So it's like very, very different. And I heard that you mentioned that you worked at Omnia, which is a fantastic nightclub here in Vegas. So the things that you're accustomed to seeing, we're accustomed to seeing, is a lot different for people. So our perception of money, when you see someone blowing $10,000 in a section, 
it's a lot different. So how did that Vegas lifestyle help you with understanding how to invest in, cause you said you didn't have a financial background. I want to talk about your childhood. You said you kind of grew up a little rough, which mm-hmm. I feel like any Vegas kid grows up a little rough. You said you grew up on the East side. So ain't the nicest neighborhood in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So how does all that play out now? Cause I just heard the story about you changing your life with this one cell button. Mm-hmm. How did all that stuff in the beginning? You know, that's such a, such a good question because this is uh, something that I identify with very heavily and talk about on, on my podcast as well. Um, growing up in Vegas, it desensitizes you to many things, not just like this ludicrous amount of wealth that people blow at a nightclub, but also um, it desensitizes you to, to sexual appeal, right? You're surrounded by these like world-class models and um, everyone in Vegas, it's a very superficial town. It's a very, what you see is what you get. What can you do for me now? Um, it also is this like, three it's stuck in this like 3d model currently which is kind of like why i've been leading this blockchain movement it's stuck in this 3d model where everything that exists in front of you is basically what you're going to get it's done a really bad job at applying this like 4d layer which is kind of like the, the technological layer social communities apps um the tech innovation sector all that stuff and so growing up in vegas and learning that this city's built on networking, um, you don't have to have an education. And oftentimes Vegas and Nevada as a whole is in the bottom two or three um, across the state in terms of like education and output. But I did realize at a very young age that you can succeed just based off of your network. Mm-hmm. And going going to, to Chaparral High School where the graduation rate was under 60% every year that I was there. And then going to, to UNLV where I literally three of my friends from my high school, um, literally from my entire high school senior class went to UNLV. So I had to start all over, joined a Jewish, joined API, which is a Jewish fraternity, a built, built the network there and get got into all these different ideas. I learned that Vegas has a lot of different pockets of culture, whether you're in the, the industry who's all about, you know, clout and glamorization, or you're into the more native areas of Vegas and you're into, you know, the graffiti communities or the, the low, the high rise and low rise car communities. And, um, some of the, some of the, the entrepreneurial and, and like the hustler kind of economy, I guess you could say, <laughs> because there's so many people that live in Vegas that drop out of high school or just graduate high school. Yeah, barely opt out of college. And then you go make a hundred thousand dollars a year on the strip, pouring drinks, busing, um, banquet server, uh, poker dealer or or whatever the case is. And so there's so many opportunities in that way that Vegas really drives people to just like never quit and just like keep going, keep going. And that even in these, the, even in these, these jobs on the strip, mostly where you can make that, that kind of amount of wealth, you could just meet one person and they completely change your life. Whether it's just like you were a good server to them or you're just having a good night out on the town and you bump into them at the club, they invite you to your table and they're like, Hey, I own a billion dollar construction agency. I'm looking for a supervisor. Would you like to come on? So Vegas presents all these kinds of opportunities and it's very synonymous with crypto where it's a very, um, it's a very, it's, it's a, it's a two economies that are built off meritocracy, which just means that we don't give a fuck what your reputation is. Um, we're all just about you putting the effort in. If you could show that you've put the work in, then you will be rewarded. And that's basically how Vegas, yeah. um, operates as well. 
and it's the complete opposite of the education and university um, institutions where there's a political hierarchy to it and the the best student doesn't always get that um, scholarship or the the person who's graduated isn't always hired to the right position because of the person or the employer who prefers the the hot girl or um or trying to to fill the um the racial standards or the diversity um the diversity policies that they have in place and so vegas crypto immense amount of opportunities desensitizes you from a lot of the the social constructs that exist um within society yeah, let definitely let you put a lot more money into crypto. <laughs> Omni and nightclub. So like, I feel like a lot of people don't, when you're young, so like, how old were you when you first started working at Omni and started putting the money in there? 20, so I started working at Omni on my 23rd birthday. Okay. Um, I was Cabana hosting for two years before that at Planet Hollywood. Um, I've really only been employed two jobs. I worked at Planet Hollywood Pool for five years, and then I worked at Omni and nightclub for six years before leaving um, to go full time into crypto this year, so you could say never had a traditional job, but you're making real money at these traditional jobs, and it's it's just it's, I'm very blessed to be out here, but also with Vegas, they get trapped in what I've called the the vicious Vegas cycle, where you make you know you make five hundred dollars in a night, thousand dollars in a night, two thousand dollars in a night, and then on your off days you go out and try to do the same exact thing that you're employed to do, right? I bust at tables and now my off days, I go to tables and then I go blow half of that money that I make to go build those social relationships. But eventually you get sucked down into this like rabbit hole that is Vegas and you start going to strip clubs till 10 a.m. and blowing all this money, substance abuse, alcohol abuse. And I got caught in that and actually went sober for three years up until earlier this year because I was going out and spending all the money that I was making and not putting it into to Bitcoin and some of these other things and getting sidetracked. And so there's, uh, there's a lot of temptation that exists out here in Vegas, especially working in the nightlife industry where everyone is engaging in um, non-traditional activities, yeah. I should say. Yeah, and we're making, and so it's crazy for the people who don't live here, like, they're, these are 18, 19, or 21-year-olds making six figures out the gate, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, what do you tell the 21-year-old who maybe is blessed in a situation like Vegas, or maybe they have a, a family business where they're making good money, you know? Like you said, there's never too late time to get into crypto. Like, where do they start? The best way to start with crypto is to invest something that is not your entire bankroll, but it's enough for you to pay attention to. Um, I always advise buying Bitcoin first. Um, it's the oldest. You want to understand the infrastructure um, in crypto first. I know that a lot of people like to just ape into meme coins, um, which ape is just a, a common crypto term for just not doing any research. You're just Yolo. buying. You're just yellowing. It's how a lot of people get wrecked, which sometimes people need to get wrecked to understand like what's actually there. But reading the Bitcoin white paper, which is just nine, it's just nine pages. Um, will really help you understand what the entire ethos is because Bitcoin is not only a financial asset, it's a cultural asset, it's a movement. It was built off the cypherpunk movement of the 1980s, which was basically um, people in the early ages of the internet being created realized that the internet could be capitalized on by central entities, which is basically what's happened now, right? All the social media companies kind of run the internet and monetize your data. So understanding those concepts will help you understand like the importance of Bitcoin. And then from there, then you move on to Ethereum, which is like a 
decentralized computer. Um, it basically think of it as just like a, think of it as an iOS or a Windows system without a central entity. So in the app store, this is a big issue why Blizzard games and a lot of these other people don't contribute to the app stores because Apple takes 30% of the rake for any company that's making over a million dollars through the app store. And also you have to get approved by Apple to be in the iOS or the app store. But on Ethereum, anyone can build any decentralized app, put it on the blockchain and it'll never be removed. Once it's there, it's there forever. And it's because it's open, it's open source. So then anybody could then go and build on whatever you've minted into the blockchain or put on it. So that's why it makes it this like wild, wild west chaotic feel because it's really free. It's really the, the free market enterprise that used to exist before um, the intertwinement of, of government, politics and big, big, big business. And so you're really just capitalizing on that like raw investor mentality that raw culture and um the raw innovation that exists out there and it takes a long time to kind of understand that and so you have to start with the basics and that's pretty much with like most technologies or just like most basic ideas question so you know you you read a lot about the warren buffett's the um is it jamie diamond jamie yeah jp morgan jp morgan ceo a lot of a lot of these old rich white dudes that are <laughs> that are talking shit about crypto um but they're probably investing in crypto while Secretly. they're talking shit about it but you know one thing i i hear that's pretty common jake is people will be like man crypto you know is worthless but like you know i believe in blockchain technology for the newbies that are listening right now like in the simplest form what is blockchain technology blockchain it's just a it's a distributed ledger think of it as just like a decentralized database or a spreadsheet essentially and essentially right like it's what running tab of everything that's happened yeah so we'll start with bitcoin because it's the basics right so there is these things called blocks right and so every 10 minutes a new block forms and they stack on top of each other and inside these blocks are all of the transactions that have ever been processed on bitcoin and so every 10 minutes every transaction that's ever existed another block is stacked on top of it, which then makes that all those transactions permanent on the blockchain. And there is a very nuanced way to go about it. Basically for just this example, we're going to say then those transactions exist forever. Um, you can't, they can't be reversed. And so then the block just keeps growing and growing and growing. And now there's over millions of blocks. And so all these different blockchains have all these different utilities because now you can embed data into the blockchain, whether it's an image like an NFT, whether you're storing energy like Bitcoin, whether you're storing smart contracts and agreements like Ethereum, there's all these different ways to innovate and use. But on the basic idea, it's just a decentralized database that has a record of all the transactions that have ever existed on that specific blockchain. How could you be against blockchains? Like blockchain is... 100% 100% the future. I feel like people like the boomers get caught up on the, the word cryptocurrency. It's not a currency. It's not a currency. I can't invest my money in something that's not a currency. There's no intrinsic value. There's no intrinsic value. That's the, that's the phrase that they love saying. There's no intrinsic value of Bitcoin, no utility. But essentially the blockchain technology, which is the basis of all cryptocurrency, that's never going to go anywhere. That sounds like it's what we've always wanted, but never had. Yep. And you can't, and it can't be shut off either. So there's no central entity. 
And that this is what makes Bitcoin powerful and why a lot, there's a lot of people that exist in the world called Bitcoin maxis because there's no central point of authority. So if the government wants to come in and seize everything, they would have to go to everybody's individual wallet and they'd have to get the password from every individual user to repossess it. Whereas like Ethereum, which is also decentralized, they could go and talk to Vitalik, who's the co-founder, who's very public, and they could put pressure on him to then encourage rollbacks and all of these other things that can uh, manipulate what's happening on the blockchain. Mm. But with Bitcoin, it's completely decentralized and it's so dispersed across now hundreds of thousands of computers across the world. There's no single point of failure and that's what's called a shelling point. Um, there really is no shelling points um, outside of maybe mining um, centralization, but even then it's becoming more decentralized over time as well. So mining centralization, I think I saw CNBC, everything was in China for a while. And then now because of the ban on cryptocurrency mining that the Chinese government put on their you know, people, it's now shifted towards America and other, other countries. Texas. Texas. America was a massive beneficiary for that it might have actually china doing that might have just shifted like the entire power dynamics of the crypto space to america and now america's kind of getting in its own way i'm trying to enforce regulation that's tied to to politics now but mining the mining operation for for bitcoin is a multi multi multi-billion dollar opportunity and basically in in my opinion a lot of people have different opinions of different blockchains it incentivizes energy innovation. Yes, it's a currency, it's digital gold, whatever narrative, but it's encouraging those to optimize energy output. And so there's, it's um, brought in a, a wave of fresh capital into the renewable space of solar, hydropower, wind power, um, some company- Volcano power? Volcano, yeah, that volcano energy in El Salvador. And now, and we could talk on El Salvador too. And now um, there's companies like the uh, Great American Mining Co. where they are capitalizing on um, excess energy that is output from um, oil rigs that comes out and it was never used. They were able to capture that energy and put it into the, the mining algorithm to then generate Bitcoin. So they're now wasting less energy. They're optimizing better energy usage. And Bitcoin is almost 50% fully renewable at this time. And that's a lot of the, um, a lot of the um, climate change environmentalists, which I don't have anything against them, FUD Bitcoin. But if Bitcoin was a country, it would be quadruple the amount of the next country in terms of uh, renewable energy consumption and output. Wow. So you just debunked a lot of boomer, boomer <laughs> talk right there. It's- Cost too much energy. It's bad for the planet. Yeah. And then don't even get me started on like the legacy financial system, right? How much energy is consumed by cash registers and cash app and all these financial instruments that exist, right? Every business has a cash register, which consumes energy, which has apps that exist on that, that consume energy. And then all the banks consume energy. So if you combine that, how much of the traditional financial infrastructure consumes energy compared to Bitcoin. Like that's something they don't talk about in the news as well. It doesn't fit the narrative. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't fit the narrative. It, it just basically crypto can debase power. And so they call it the, the greatest transfer of wealth in human history, which is true. Once Bitcoin hits the, the, the report is once Bitcoin hits 150,000, 50% of the world's billionaires are going to be Bitcoin billionaires. 
And the majority of those billionaires are probably under 40. So then what happens when millennials and even Gen Z um, have billions of dollars? Where is that going to be directed? Because it's been held in the, the, the bank accounts of boomers for decades. They've held on to that power and they're losing it. And also Bitcoin, um, it um, delevers the corruption of of government and big business because basically what's happening right now is the money inflation, which is a big topic. 40% of all U S dollars that ever existed were printed in the last 18 months. So what happens when you print more money assets increase and those who are holding dollars, your purchasing power decreases. So the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And it's regardless of your political affiliations and opinions. Um, this is something that was heavily driven by um, the Democrats and, and by liberals and so they basically, they attack the rich for being rich, but they're the one that's making them richer by devaluing the currency and printing money. Um, also, they want to pay back China and all this other things of, of fi- financial engineering. Um, and, but if, you, if the government then can't print money, print their way out of a recession because of people are just using Bitcoin, then that, that big business tirade with the government um, is going to become obsolete and decay. And then you'll finally be able to see what a true market exists. Um, and it's all because of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And there's so many power dynamics to it as well outside of just yeah. finance. It's almost like the gold rush is kind of like the, what I'm like getting. It's like gold rush vibes where you either can go make that trip to San Francisco and go try and you know get stake your claim and make your millions or you just, you know, you, you never, you never got there and you just, you get the gold that comes back in, but eventually it all became gold. We all needed gold to, to operate. And I almost feel like cryptocurrencies or blockchain period is that new wave. It's going to be embedded in every section of our economy. And I think that leads us right into NFTs, which seems like is going to be the next big thing. And that's kind of like your, you know, that's where space. I, that's, yeah, that's where I've built my brand off of, um, NFTs are probably the fastest scale in technology that's ever existed. Um, it's absolutely insane. Um, and I think I mentioned this before too. Um, I always thought self-sovereign money, as we just talked about for the last 10 or 15 minutes, would capture a lot of um, interest from average individuals. But it actually ended up just being digital art and collectibles, at least from the forefront. We're, very, we're in a very primitive state of NFTs. As I mentioned, it's... Um, The basic idea is just you're taking an item and you're putting the ownership on a blockchain, whether you're putting the ownership or the certificate of authenticity is the real world comparison to it. Um, You could put real estate contracts on the blockchain, IP, um, anything that's non-fungible. And so I guess I should probably explain what the difference is. Fungible currencies and non-fungible currencies, right? NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And then we have fungible tokens. What is fungibility? Fungibility is uh, a bunch of pieces of something that exist and are interoperable. You can remove them and exchange them um, without um, hindering the price or the effect of whatever it is. So for example, if all of us had a $100 bill and threw it on the table, it doesn't matter what $100 bill we pick up, they all have the same exact value. Now, if we have three NFTs, and for example, I'll use a real world example, if we had three baseball cards on the table and we all threw it on the table and they're different players, they all have different value. And in the real world, everything's non-fungible. Humans are non-fungible. 
Um, these mics are probably fungible because they're mass produced, but if they have a different serial number, then they're non-fungible. It's just basically things that uh, have an individual identity to themselves. So now what can you do with that? And now we're assigning ownership over things of, of JPEGs and now music, um, digital land, um, wearables within digital games. Um, I don't know. Did either of you play RuneScape ever? <laughs> this is my first ever role-playing game I ever played. Uh, that th RuneScape really had like the original NFTs, right? All yeah. the wearables that you could set that people were selling. Go um, scout and uh, go on quest to go get some, some fresh new gear. And uh, <laughs> Diablo 2 was a, a game that was very similar. Those are NFTs, right? But the only difference with those is that those wearables could be taken away from you anytime or repossessed from the, the game producers. Mm -hmm. Whereas these, since you own the, the hash to the individual wearables, nobody can ever repossess that from you unless they take it out of your wallet, which you'd have to get hacked, um, which is a whole different conversation. Okay. So the, so people are now in NFTs are, NFTs and gaming go really well hand in hand. Um, the, right now, art and collectibles um, was the big use case, um, brought over a lot of different artists. Um, now you have the whole profile picture identity thing with CryptoPunks and Mooncats is kind of like the shirt that I'm wearing. Um, that's kind of where I built my identity from. Uh, I, as I explained this to the story of like my crypto journey, I sat around for years waiting on a right opportunity. I always knew I wanted to be in crypto. I didn't want to work for anybody. I wanted my own individual persona, my own business. In March of 2021, um, Mooncats, which was an NFT project created in 2017, um, was rediscovered. And what I mean by that is there's 25,000 of these like eight of these eight bit pixelated cats of different colors, poses, directions, yada, yada, yada. They were the first ever generative art project on a blockchain, which basically means they were the first ever art that was generated by an algorithm randomly and minted on the blockchain, right? Okay. Which and is the commonplace now. Which is every, most things are now generative of some sort, unless you're an artist creating art and then putting it on the blockchain so yourself. Is, for people who don't understand, that was the original yeah. OG. The OG, yeah, the OG. And now you get into like AIR and all these other concepts to it as well. That's like the stuff you might see on Instagram, like Beeple. Beeple's an original artist. Yeah. So Beeple um, had that $69 million NFT sale, which is the biggest, biggest sale. Basically, he he created digital artwork for the last 15 years before NFTs, before Photoshop, before all this crazy stuff. He created one digital art piece every day for 15 years. Then he got into to, uh, NFTs last year and then just built a big brand. He was because he was a mainstream artists in the digital artwork space. And so he basically made a composite of every single piece of artwork that he's done, put it into one image file and then put it on the blockchain, sold it. Obviously it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing with like 1500 different pieces of art on there, or might've been bigger than that, but it, it resembled like the artwork and the evolution of where we've become. It's become like a cultural piece. Some people call NFTs tokenized internet culture. I like to call them gamified social arenas. There's so many different concepts to it. There's so much depth. That's where all this experimentation is happening. But in the, the collectible space with Mooncats, right, these were rediscovered. And basically out of the 25,000, 5,000 of them were minted from 2017 to 2020. And then when NFTs blew up, 
everyone basically rediscovered this project and they minted the last 20,000 in like 10 minutes between like 7,000 people. And now it has this crazy narrative story, which is very similar to Bitcoin, which narrative is very important, right? What's the intrinsic value of any cryptocurrency is basically the narrative behind it, the belief system, right? It's the same thing with like religion. What's the intrinsic value of religion, which some people might hate for me to say that, but what is it? Is it the culture that's backing it? What's the intrinsic value of a dollar, right? What makes the dollar worth a dollar? It's the government says it is, but how does the government enforce that by the military? So basically the dollar is backed by the military. And if, if, if people choose not to use the dollars world reserve currency, then the gut, then the U S it goes and invades them. That's basically what's happened over time. Um, unfortunately the U S has some, some very, um, we got big guns. Yeah, big guns, and they, they like to use it and show their power, um, which whether it's for good or evil is for you to be determined. But this project was rediscovered. It was decentralized. Start off as free, no minting cost. You only had to pay gas fees. And so now people, and this is my background because my first business was an antique store. So when this, at the time, Mooncats were considered the second oldest NFT ever to exist. Wow. And it sparked this whole thing of NFT archaeology, which now there's like, now Mooncats is probably like the 30th oldest NFT because people are now going back, digital uh, archaeologists are going back and looking through the blockchain and old digital Reddit posts archaeologists. Yeah, <laughs> to find these, to find these artifacts. And so I sold Sotheby's and Chrissy's, which are two of the most iconic auction houses in the world yeah. are getting into NFTs. Um, so the cat on my coat, um, which was Mooncat number 10, which was the 11th ever minted generative art piece because there's a Mooncat Zero. Um, we sold that at Sotheby's. I was a part of this auction with 19 other collectors, including Paris Hilton, Steve Aoki. Paris Hilton's been into NFT since 2019. So um, she either is really smart at have the game or she has a very um, smart team around her, um, in- including some of the, the most prominent NFT collectors in the world. The digital cat sold. I uh, made about 100k um, between my lots. Um, the biggest piece sold for like three and a half million, which was a uh, rare Pepe, which is like a whole nother story within it's itself. Yeah, well, rare Pepe is just like Pepe the Frog meme from Feels Good Mad Matt Fury. Um, in 2016 through 2018, they made a rare Pepe collection, which is 1,700 different rare Pepe's that are. The meme is just tied into like crypto events and like old artwork and Picasso's and all these different leverage things, which that's where you get memetic investing from. And so I built my brand around Mooncats because I realized we're so early. There's no information on any of this stuff. I started doing YouTube videos about Mooncats on my YouTube account. Finally got over a thousand. And from selling at Sotheby's, my Twitter account went from 2000 to, I think today it's at almost 5,000 in the matter of like two months. Um, and so it just shows that in crypto, you can be nobody and then become somebody if you, um, have merit, if you just show that you could put the work in and show that you have the knowledge. And that's where we are with now with NFTs outside of art and collectibles, people are looking into, to access tokens and IP like Gary V is where Gary V did V friends, where these different NFTs represent different um, access to Gary V. All the NFTs are tickets to his VCon event, which is in a few months, I believe. But they also, one of them represents like, go on Gary V's podcast. Um, one of it's like, go get lunch with Gary V. Go um, to the Knicks game with him. Uh, there's like a handful of different mm-hmm. variations. So this is the world now of non-fungible 
um, access or non-fungible intellectual property. So that's being explored. Blau, the world-famous DJ, is changing the game in NFT music, putting music on a blockchain where the songs are owned by the community, and you're basically going directly to your consumers and your audience selling your song and you're saving all of the profits from what a music agency would just absolutely rake from you, which is I've heard up to 50%. And you know what you just said, like it sparked something. I mean, really this is just giving power to the people, right? Like, and I relate this to the internet right before the internet, right? Like to communicate to somebody, you had a freaking Landline. go on your horse, take a piece oh, of mail and, and give it to, you know, the post office or delivery the Pony Express, Pony Express. <laughs> and you were relying on an institution. You were relying, I don't know if that was the government, but you were relying on someone else to get that communication. Right. And, and who knows when the internet first came out, like maybe there was a lot of people that are like, dude, you're crazy. Like there's just no way that's happening. And that's what's happening right now. Right. With mm -hmm. NFTs and crypto, yep. it's like the power is being given to the people. Yep, that's why they call it, that's why they call it web 3.0. You're so you're talking about web point 1.0 is like the HTTPS, which is like the very raw internet. We currently exist in web 2.0, which is, it's a, a, a form of self sovereignty, but you, but all of your data is stored in a central entity. Right. And it's as we, as we've Google. seen human nature tends to be very repetitive. And if, if somebody, or an entity holds a lot of power, they tend to use it uh, in a negative manner or just in a self-beneficiary manner, which doesn't um, resonate with the people that well. And so then we move into this web 3.0 world where, yeah, it's giving power back to the people. Um, going back to the artists, you could tie royalties into all of the secondary transactions. Uh, Mark Cuban uses example a lot. Think of college professors, right? They create a tech college textbook and they sell it to their students and then after students are done, they sell it back to the bookstore for 5% of what they paid. Yep. How about this time? Now the professor or the author puts a 5% royalty on secondary sales. And then the students can sell it to the next student for the same amount of cost. And then um, the author gets 5% royalty on all the secondary sales. So that's why art and collectibles really took off first because now the artists aren't getting um, raked by the art houses that are taking 15, 20% commission. And that's why Blau is doing this with music because as we've seen throughout all of history, um, artists tend to get fucked over pretty hard and they tend to lose everything. Yeah. Was I not supposed to cuss? No, no. I was <laughs> like, watch any movie from the 80s. Yeah. Like, fucking, you know, those, those old managers take you to the cleaners. Take you to the cleaners. And so it's, yeah, it's self-sovereignty in the term of non-fungible ideas. It's eventually going to move into tokenizing real-world assets on the blockchain. Best example, what's a massive market out here in Las Vegas? And this is an example I use a lot. So sorry if somebody's heard this before. Um, real estate, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of casinos. There's a lot of commercial real estate, a lot of residential real estate. Yep. Let's say I own the stratosphere, which is the largest building in Vegas. If you wanted to pull equity or if you want to pull liquidity out of, out of the stratosphere and you were the owner, how do you do that? Right? Got to go to a bank. You have to go, go to the refinance. bank. You have to have one buyer come in and buy the entire thing outright, or you have to set up some sort of, um, loan operation where then you get nickel and dimed and probably lose 10 to 15% of the total value, or you rent out the space that exists within it. Well, what if I take the real estate contract, put it on an NFT, 
And then I fractionalize against it, which it's going to sound a little different. So you put the contract on an NFT and then you issue tokens against it that represent equity in the building. And now I could send out, sell off 10% of the stratosphere to whoever wants it. It's an open market. And then the owner of stratosphere still owns the majority of it, but then you get to pull some of the liquidity out. And then some of the people who love the stratosphere, whether they have a personal tie to it, they think it's an investment opportunity, whatever, um, get to get to join in on the party as well. So these are just like different ideas of tokenizing real world assets as well, which m- the majority of people, and I do believe as well, is going to be the most, most things over the next 10 years will probably be tokenized in some sort. Yeah. So, I mean, for like the, just clicked in my head is like basically allowing you to take an asset, car, stratosphere, an experience. And, you know, if you own it, you can also basically create shares mm-hmm. and say, hey, you want to invest in my company? You know, I'll, I'll sell off 10% of my shares, which is basically just infusing capital into your pocket so you can go use it for other places. But now, you know, Daniel owns 10% of this experience, this place, or this NFT. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty dope. Experiences are going to be most or they're going to be turned into some sort of token nft in the future this is why at native my business um, we believe that vegas is going to become an nft hub vegas is the entertainment capital world that's moving into the experience capital world right um we have now we have all of these residencies we have all these different experiences maverick helicopters um, the zip lines and all of these other curated experiences well now what if you say I want to go to excess nightclub, right? I turn all of the tickets that night into an NFT. Now, as somebody who owns excess nightclub, which is at the win, let's say somebody goes and sees the chain smoker five times. Now I could just airdrop them a real world experience that says, thank you for coming to our show five times. Here is a redeemable voucher to go hang out with the chain smokers at dinner at one of our restaurants. And you don't even have to be in direct contact with that person. You could literally just look up the blockchain, see who has five of this ticket, and then airdrop it to them. And the person gets to say anonymous if they choose, or they could come out publicly about it. And so Gary V talks about the same idea that digital wallets are going to be the digital flexes. Um, It's an easy way to relate to somebody if all the tickets in the world, and Mark Cuban is turning the Mavericks tickets into NFTs, um, which he's also a big NFT guy as well in DeFi, you can just audit and see who's been to all those events. And I'm a big rave kid. I've been, I love raving. It changed me. It was a spiritual awakening for me. I kept all of my tickets in a bag somewhere, right? They're still in my room. They're in the back of my closet, but now I could just go look at my wallet anytime and look at all of the, the raves. Or what if I met somebody at EDC and I have the NFT of it? I could go then search through all of the tickets and try to find that person. And there's so many different derivatives and ideas I could form around it as well. We are just in the primitive state of NFTs, which is probably only 1%. A lot of people say if we're, if, if NFTs were a baseball game, well, we might just be coming out of the top of the first inning in terms of, of what the future utility is. People are turning their communities into, or their, people are gamifying their communities. That's what the influencers are doing. And then down the road, we have the metaverse narrative now with, uh, we saw with Facebook changing to, to, meta, to meta and they're doing metaverses, which right. are decentralized blockchain games. And then we have social tokens, which is a whole nother topic that comes down the road um, some years from there. 
and more things will just keep popping up, which just every single time it just becomes more specialized and just gives more power back to the individual. Every single uh, crypto protocol that is introduced into the ecosystem. That's fucking crazy. And then speaking back to when you said like power to the people, I was reading this article this morning. Um, some group is like coming together to buy a copy of the constitution. They're like, yeah. They're like, oh yeah. It's called constitution DAO. Yeah. Like they're, they're crowdfunding from, you know, peers and everybody open source, you know, if you want to contribute and they're going to go try and buy a copy of the constitution on their mm-hmm. Nicholas cage over there. That is all treasure. That is also a new trend, which is a DAO. DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Best way to describe it is think of a bunch of friends with a spreadsheet and everything's enforced by code. So if you have a hundred people, right? A hundred friends, fraternity friends, whatever, that are all part and they all contribute five ETH to, to this DAO. Now you have 500 ETH between 100 people. How do you delegate it, right? Now there's a voting mechanism that's tied to it. And then they're going out and these DAOs are mostly just buying NFT assets because they're typically created of people who, who are not accredited investors who have been priced out or who have been uh, boxed out of the legacy system because to be an accredited investor, you have to have a million dollars in net worth how am I going to get to a million dollars in net worth if I can't invest in anything? Like it's just like this, this ass backwards um, procedure that's been set into place. So what are these DAOs doing? They're all probably the younger generation and some of the VCs who are forward thinking are going in and buying NFTs because those are the assets that they could buy. And those are the ones that they know are just going to continue to increase in price. But now they can also go and buy real world assets. So a, to- a hot topic in the DAO world is who's going to be the first DAO to buy a football team? Right. So so what if, what if you have a a thousand people contribute a hundred ETH and now they could go buy a football team. So what happens when a football team, what happens when a football team is owned by a thousand people? And obviously there is regulatory issues in this and it's a gray area that will eventually the government's going to have to face at some point, but the U S government and most governments move so slow that they're still, they're still prosecuting ICOs from 2017. And now from 2017 to now you have NFTs, metaverse, DAOs, social tokens, like they're never going to keep up. And Mark Zuckerberg was famous for his quote, move fast and break things. Now with crypto, it's moving even faster. Things are broken and no one's even realized that they're broken because you've already tore down the entire room. Right. So it's just what's going to happen. Who knows? But the internet is this movement that just, it can't be stopped. Wall Street bets has shown it in a centralized manner, right? They almost took an entire hedge fund out. They had to raise capital because um, they caught them um, in a short squeeze, over leveraged. And it's literally almost took them out. Literally, they had to go raise like, I forget what the, the fund was called, but they had to raise like, billion. yeah, I think it was like $4 billion or something and sell like a majority of their shares. Um, and that's a whole nother corruptive aspect to it. So Dow is almost like if for the stock market people, like it's almost like a SPAC, which mm-hmm. blew up yeah. after the 2020 with Shamoth and everything. Like basically, Hey, you know, you want to go public with quest education blue, you know, like just work with me. I'm already a publicly traded company or we already got the, you know, our foot in the door. You just use us to get fully into and skip the line, you know, of trying to go get listed traditionally on the NASDAQ. So now basically with, if I understand it correctly, this Dow, me and blue can partner up go purchase, you know, some rare NFT is almost like a mini hedge fund, mm-hmm. which could be amongst friends. And that's what a DAO is. Yeah. yeah. It's like a decentralized VC with friends. And so the, the issue with people are talking about the constitution thing is like, 
that there is regulatory issues because you can remain anonymous in crypto. So it's like, okay, let's say we raise that $4 billion to buy the Panthers. And now the Panthers are owned by a thousand people, but half of them are anonymous. How do you tax it? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thing, the government, that's why the U S government's trying to just blanket regulate everything, which is, there's no way to do it. Um, the new, one of the new, um, one of the new amendments that they tried to introduce into the infrastructure bill that got passed is um, everybody's a money transmitter in crypto, whether you interact, whether you develop the technology, you have to report all of your, your finance and, and all of your information. But what if you're interacting with a contract, right? What, do, what does that mean? Like, how do you tax that? Like that's how, how is a contract going to pay their taxes if it's not owned by anybody? So, they're trying Coinbase, which is the largest crypto exchange in America. It's I, it's IPO. It's a publicly traded company. They're working with the government, which is a good and bad thing. Um, and they're setting up lobby groups to try to create its own crypto czar within America, their own crypto section that they can then introduce new policies because the securities law was created a hundred years ago. And so now they're trying to regulate crypto with laws that were introduced before like cars were even taken off really <laughs> right before tvs were were up, like for the internet like these hundred year old policies and, and rules like that just does not apply in a practical sense the act of 1933 <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally and so basically with game with game theory that's tied into crypto if you just self-regulate everything then the capital and innovation is just going to move overseas and then if, if crypto is just going to happen, we, we know those who are in it know it's going to happen regardless. Yeah. So you want to have the, the innovation happening here to where you can make some of the profits, but you want all of the intellectual capital in America as well. That's what makes it so powerful outside of it being, you know, just a, a war power as well. And so if you just regulate everything, everyone's going to leave and then you're going to disperse it across the world and it'll probably end up going to like India is a big emerging place mm-hmm. um, and, um, and China as well. And so China's even having a hard time banning all of it as well. They've banned Bitcoin literally every year since 2013. And it's just like never, it just doesn't happen. So like when the mining thing happened, they left, it was was complete amazement, which probably still didn't get all of it around. So it's just like whack-a-mole. The amount of knowledge that you have is is incredible, man. And I think what's even more incredible is just like your background, you know? Um, You were at Omnia dealing with drunk people. (laughs) And, uh, you know, here you are now just like a a walking encyclopedia. So to someone that like believes in crypto NFTs, they're like, dude, like I see it, I believe it, but fuck, I don't know shit. Like you obviously accumulated a lot of knowledge over a period of time. And and I know you put in that work, but like, what would you recommend to someone that's just a newbie? Like how would they start taking action? Obviously doing the work, um, but like tactically, what would you recommend for them to start learning the game? Yeah. So there's so many different educational tools and it's all kind of dispersed. If you're in, if you're listening to this in America, create a Coinbase account. Coinbase, um, they have a lot of um, learn to earn kind of ideas where you go through a lot of their um, learning procedures. They reward you in crypto. Coinbase is also launching their own NFT marketplace um, by the end of this year. So, and they make everything very user-friendly. Um, obviously with Coinbase, they work with the government. So you're not, your information is going to be out there. It's going to be publicly known and it's going to be shared with the U S government. 
And that's um, a preference that some people have a lot of distaste for. Um, if a- NFTs, just go to OpenSea.com, O-P-E-N-S-E-A. That's the largest NFT marketplace. And just explore it, man. Just look and see what there is. There's digital land, music NFTs, art and collectibles. And just try to to understand where it comes from. Understand what looks good, what speaks to you. I literally spent hours and days and months. I, I learned about, first time I learned about NFTs was in January. I didn't buy my first NFT till March because I was trying to understand what was happening here. So browse through OpenSea, um, create a Twitter account. Um, all of the crypto information is sourced through Twitter, through Discord, and through podcasts. Those are the three platforms. Does not translate well with Instagram. YouTube has some good information, but a lot of it is um, gamed. Um, a lot of it, there's a lot of pump and dumps that happen on YouTube. Um, a lot of influencers that are paid behind the scenes to um, attract you to certain coins, which they're then dumped on. Um, and podcasts, I, the easiest podcast to go to is just the Pomp Podcast. I think it's called the Best Business Podcast. Um, most user-friendly. Pomp is a good guy attracting a lot of individuals with a lot of capital. And then on Twitter, you could just literally go to Twitter and type in blockchain or cryptocurrency. Follow everyone there that has some sort of crypto name to it. And then just kind of try to learn the language because that's where internet culture is going. NFT or Twitter is going heavy into NFTs. And I don't see, until there's a decentralized alternative to social media, which is probably four or five years away, Twitter is by far, 90% of the information comes through Twitter uh, and crypto. And then outside of that, go into to podcasts and discords, go into discords. But in order to find the discord, you have to go through the Twitter account. So Twitter, 100% best place to start, type in crypto, blockchain, um, type in Anthony, Anthony Pompliano, and um, Vitalik Buterin, who is the founder of Ethereum. And from there, you just just dig deep and go down the rabbit hole. There's no one direct way to go um, because crypto really captures your intellectual curiosity. And that's why I come on here and on a lot of shows and kind of spray and pray a lot of the ideas because you never know what idea is going to capture it, whether it's internet gold, digital JPEG, royalties, real world assets, the place is so vast and crypto is going to intertwine with almost every sector and discipline that is on the planet. So start with Twitter friends. Um, you can follow me at Jake Gallen, J K E G A L L E N underscore, or go to native research or my YouTube channel is Jake Gallen. Um, I have a lot of information on there. You can always reach out to me. I'm happy to direct people I'm on my phone 24 <laughs> seven directing people. And you know, I'm not, directly monetizing from anyone. I'm just being a friend because I'm a big believer in social capital. And I think we discussed this actually when you, when Daniel was on my podcast about a po- being a podcaster is like being a social investor. You invest social equity, the guests get re- in return gives you social equity and that social equity is redeemed at some point in time, whether it's business opportunity, friendship, investment opportunity, so on. And so in crypto, I tweeted about this yesterday, actually. In crypto, you want to make friends with all of the non-influencers because the the rate of social rewards compounds at astronomical levels compared to the real world. 
so many people in crypto who are nobody become somebody a few months later just because they put the work in. That's me. Literally went up 3,000 followers in two months from just contributing to specifically the Mooncat community. Like saw there was a need there. They needed information. They needed a vocal leader. I came in and now other influencers and people follow me as well. And then that leads to other opportunities. So it could be, you can contribute anyway, whether it's education, investment, um, the technical development, relationships, networking, uh, literally anything. Memes. Yeah. (laughs) Memes, meme, uh, crypto revolutionized meme marketing. All of the crypto companies put $0 into, into regular marketing because the users are financially incentivized to market it to, to their friends and to everybody else. So it's completely lifted everything up. So different. <laughs> yeah, it's so different. Um, there was a quote that I heard recently about, it was they're comparing bell curves and crypto. And they were saying for, for a long time, living in mediocrity is in the bell curve, right? Because you want to be, you want to be doing what everybody's doing, but in crypto, you're financially incentivized to be doing things that uh, no, that nobody's doing. And so a lot of the rewards are actually out on the edge and I might have that a little bit backwards, but um, crypto's literally just flipped everything upside down, power back to the people, immense amount of opportunity, generational wealth, um, and just, just explore it. Don't listen to the narratives that traditional media puts out there because they are financially incentivized to, to FUD it into oblivion, which FUD is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Or your family members or your friends that know nothing about it, they're discouraging you. <laughs> you know, think twice about you know what they're saying too. Talk to us about uh, Native Research. What, uh, mm-hmm. what do you guys got going on there? So Native Research was born earlier this year uh, with my business partner, Chris, we found a need, and this is a conversation we had. We'd met literally on the internet in January, but we had a lot of very similar friends, same age, went to UNLV fraternities, blah blah blah. Both worked in the industry. We we realized in January that Vegas is going to become a hub for something in crypto, but we didn't know what it would be. Honestly, we thought it was going to be gaming. We thought it was going to be payments. Come to find out, the Gaming Commission kind of has a stranglehold on that, and that's a whole different story. Um, so through my podcast, um, I made a large network with many different leaders in the city. One of them being, um, somebody who works in the UNLV office of economic development. And so this area is basically a tech hub. Um, they're trying to become a tech hub for the city and lure in and bridge, uh, economic diversity to the city. Uh, she reached out to me, met with her after about three hours of conversation and multiple conversations and meetings, we decided we were going to start throwing blockchain meetups at Blackfire Innovation, which is this new building that's a, a collab between UNLV and Caesars Entertainment on this like big property that they own. So back in, I think April was our first meeting, our first meetup, blockchain meetups. We've done now five or six cents. We're doing a real estate one, real estate blockchain at the end of this month. Uh, the meet, the meetups have grown from 50 people to close to a hundred different people, um, from all backgrounds. Now we have representatives from different banks, um, different, um, different departments from UNLV, different business owners. We're just, edu- we were just educating people at first. And then we realized now that the community is bootstrapped and I also have to give a shout out to, to my friend, open NFT, who's been running Las Vegas NFT. We both started our own meetups at the same time. His NFT meetup started with three people at the first meetup. And now they have probably about 150 people at the one that's tomorrow. Wow. 
And so we both started these meetups at the same time, bootstrap the community. And after a few months, we realized that there's a lot of stuff going on out here. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of capital. There's a lot of people who want to do something that's not the industry. A lot of people leaving the industry, which was myself included. So Chris and I decided we'd turn native into a, a consultation firm for, for crypto, right? We're basically just directing people with an idea to a developer or directing people where to go learn. And basically just, you know, we're, we're like the p- person on the runway at an airport that's just directing with, with the lights. Now it's in, now it's, now it's formed into an NFT incubator. So now we're working with multiple influencers who have millions of followers to integrate an NFT into their existing community and moving them from the web two of social media influencing and content creation to the web three to where their the their community can monetize and gamify each other and then also have direct access to the influencer themselves that they, that they all love so now we're we're in developments with multiple projects um, also including um, some some large institutions that we can't talk about publicly yet and um, we've become one of the the leaders or the crypto consultation firm out here in Las Vegas because we also believe that over time, all of these casinos and large institutions that exist in the city are going to have to have a crypto or NFT strategy of some sort. And what, what do they do? How do legacy or traditional companies work? They turn locally. They turn to word of mouth. And so they're going to turn to probably us or the recommendations, which all funnels back to us. And so we've, we've had meetings also with city councilmen, local politicians, casino owners, and all everyone there is all on the same page. They all just have more ladders and hoops and ladders that they have to go to. They have more approval process, which moves much slower. So right now we're working on the, the founder level, which is what I like to call it. Um, with entrepreneurs who are just curious and want to build projects. And it's probably next time we talk, whenever this is, probably going to form into something else. That's just kind of like... Crypto. That's just crypto. It just moves 4,000 miles per hour. And um, I'm just blessed to be here because it's something that I've always wanted. We called it native research because Chris and I are both from Vegas. We're both... uh, We're both part of the millennial generation, which was the first generation to become internet native. And we're also crypto natives. And so that's why we called it native because we we love the city and we've drastically need to get the city off of tourism dependency. And so we just keep walking around the city, having these conversations, working with entrepreneurs and businesses and institutions to get everyone on the same page. And some of them move at faster paces. Other ones move at snail's pace, but eventually they're all going to realize that this is going to be the NFT hub or the, the crypto creator uh, economy, I should say, because Vegas is just a massively growing city that you can't even buy a house out here at this point in time because of how many people are moving out here. Mm-hmm. So very bullish on Las Vegas in general. That's kind of why I built the guest list, which was just the Joe Rogan Vegas, which a lot of people called it. And just bullish on Vegas, bullish on crypto. Happy that I could collab or turn both things into a crossroad at some point and leverage my own brand on top of it. So that's kind of that's kind of where we are at Native. Takes a lot of explanation, but I love doing these conversations because I love seeing people smile or those like light bulb moments where you're like, "Oh, that's something that I could do," you know? Because Definitely. we drastically need to get the power back into our generation's hands because um, if not, it's going to be the the 
unfortunate end of of the U.S. and the power dynamics. And I do have a strong belief that the younger generations um, are very forward thinking, um, not just about like social impact, but like power dynamics and um, how to integrate technology um, into this this flourishing economy that we need. Because this is why a lot of people are big on Andrew Yang is that he was technically literate. So that's something we've been missing for, for quite some time. And these, these grassroots movements, just like Andrew Yang's campaign or just like crypto, um, is just what we need to overthrow the democracy. <laughs> Woo! Shift, shift your focus, shift your paradigm. I love <laughs> it, man. That's a, you kind of answered, I feel like everyone's NFT crypto questions. They know where to go. They know you're the, the guy. Mm. And when they come to Vegas, next thing you know, we have NFT conventions, these big ass conventions oh. like SEMA. <laughs> NFT land is uh, the end of March. So it's actually supposed to compete with NFT NYC, which I was at two weeks ago, which has been the largest NFT conference for the last, I think they've been doing it three years. NFTs have existed. The first NFT I think existed in 2013, but it really blew up this year. So NFT land, um, I believe it's March 22nd through the 24th. Um, it's thrown by some very prominent NFT um, activists. We'll just call it that. And so you'll see a lot of NFT nerds out here at that point <laughs> at the at the end of March, and I'll definitely be participating. Might have a speech lined up at some of the satellite events. And, nice. Um, for those who are listening that live in Vegas, come out to the Blackfire meetups that I throw last Tuesday of every month, but not in December because I'm not going to throw an event after Christmas because no one's going to go. Um, follow Las Vegas NFT, follow Native Research, follow Jake Gallen, all just like that on Twitter. And that's where you get a lot of the information and then hop in the Las Vegas NFT Discord. We recently merged my Discord with Las Vegas NFT Discord. And so now it's just Las Vegas NFT Discord. There's about 500 different local crypto-minded people in that community actively talking, actively engaging. And I can leave it on this cool note to show the power of Vegas. Um, over the summer, two individuals met at one of the NFT meetups and three months later, they launched a successful 10,000 art um, NFT drop, which raked in quite a lot of money. And they did it all in three months. Um, and it was all a collaborative effort of everyone that existed within Las Vegas. And now there's probably probably getting close to 10 NFT projects that are coming out of Vegas wow. at this point in time. So it's big for the city. It's a hotbed. It's something you want to participate in. There's a lot of money in it. But it's just more rewarding to know that you get to be your own boss and you get to do it with a lot of people and um, you get to have a fun time doing it with all your internet friends. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jake, thank you again for uh, taking the time man, and breaking it down. Uh, this is awesome to just sit here and, and listen. And, and I know you guys, you know, on your run in your car, whatever you, you know, you're doing as you listen to this, you know, take some action, you know, Jake definitely uh, gave you guys the playbook, gave you guys the game, go follow him. You guys know the deal, share this with a friend, leave us a five-star review. Uh, let us know in, in that review um, how much you love this episode with Jake. You know, this is our first time we've had somebody like this on the show yeah. with crypto, right? Well, in this experience with crypto, you know. Hey, <laughs> happy to be here. Yeah, yeah man. So you, you broke our cherry, bro. Hey, <laughs> our cherry. Go. All right. Yeah. 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 All right, winners. Well, you guys know the deal. It's, uh, it, it, to, to win in this economy, you got to pivot, man. And uh, Jake's been pivoting for a long time and he just took 
the last four or five years, what he's been doing and shared it with you guys. So uh, grateful again to have him on the show. I know you guys got a ton of value. Go share this with a friend. And uh, Jake, I know this is not going to be the last time we see you. I feel like we got to go check out one of these meetups, man. Oh, definitely. We'll be there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thankful with you gentlemen for this great opportunity to share the story. I know we're going to be definitely doing this again here in the near future. Hope for you guys come out to the meetups. Everyone out here in Vegas, follow me, reach out, DM me if you have any questions. Happy to engage um, as long as uh, I'm not having a panic attack from all the DMs that slide in there. <laughs> <at some> point, <laughs> Everything uh, will be in the show notes, guys. So check out the show notes and uh, you want to have a kick-ass week. Peace. Cheers.